Sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the conclusion of the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had ordered them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but they doubted. Then Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. For six weeks, we've been celebrating Easter this season, focusing on the singularly important event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And as we're nearing the end of this season with today's celebration of the ascension of the Lord, when Jesus, fully alive in his glorious resurrected body, returns to heaven... The reaction from his apostles is kind of interesting. These were the 11, obviously without Judas, who's gone for obvious reasons, who has experienced three plus years of being with Jesus. They had witnessed the miracles, experienced all the excitement and joy around all those events. They had heard his teaching. They had prayed with him, ate with him. They were more than just friends of his. They had left everything in their lives to be with him, to follow him. And now it's been 43 days since the Last Supper, the Passion, the death of Jesus. It's 40 days since his resurrection. And now they've experienced numerous times where they've experienced and encountered the risen Christ. And after all that's happened, what was their reaction? When they saw him, they worshiped, but they doubted. We often think that doubts are more common, even understandable, all these millennia that have followed since these things first occurred. All this time since the eyewitnesses first testified to these events, and in our sometimes arrogant view of ourselves of being more enlightened and sophisticated in our present age, those doubts almost seem considered justified. So it's somewhat jarring to read that right there, On Ascension Thursday, for the most innermost circle of followers, of believers, of leaders of the faith, after all they had seen and heard and experienced, they still doubted. When we think back, though, through these past six weeks of the Easter season, we remember that doubt has been this recurring theme right from the very beginning. On Easter Sunday, the the two are on the road to Emmaus, who upon first 
hearing numerous reports of an empty tomb, of angelic greetings announcing that Jesus was alive, he had been risen, they doubted so much that they headed out of town. Then poor St. Thomas, having missed being in the upper room Easter Sunday night when Jesus first appears to the apostles and says he doesn't believe their reports. He's now been forever nicknamed and dubbed Doubting. It's kind of disappointing or unnerving. We could understand their doubts on Good Friday, but on Easter and throughout the 40 days of the Easter season and now as Jesus ascends into heaven, wouldn't this good news provide certainty? What if those doubts finally disappear? If they aren't going to have any confidence and certainty, what hope do we have? But maybe this is one of the gifts of this Easter season for all believers. To stop denying our doubts. To not be afraid to acknowledge them, but to confront them head on. In an extensive biography on the life and thought of Pope Benedict XVI, the author Elio Guerrero shares how when the Pope was in his early 40s, one of his first books that he wrote was called Introduction to Christianity. And quite profoundly, right from the outset, the future Pope writes of the reality of doubt in the life of faith, saying the believer is always threatened with an uncertainty that in moments of temptation could suddenly and unexpectedly cast a piercing light on the fragility of the whole that usually seems so so self-evident to him. Benedict then recounts how some of the greatest of saints like Teresa Lisieux, who had some of the most profound mystical experiences here on earth, also suffered the worst temptations of atheism. The nuns of Therese in her convent that she lived with were so horrified when they read those things in her journals that they initially edited them out. It's good to have friends like that, I guess. He then shares this opening scene from a play that's called The Satin Slipper. And it finds this Jesuit missionary who is shown as the survivor of a shipwreck. And the ship, having been sunk by pirates, has left this priest drifting on a piece of wood through the raging waters of the ocean. And Pope Benedict sees this as the situation that each believer finds themselves in. Only a wooden beam binds the man to life and to God, while all that surrounds him makes him fear that he's going to wind up like the others in the shipwreck, swallowed up by the great abyss. But the believer doesn't let go of the wood. The believer sees that this this wooden beam is strong enough to keep him from drowning, enough to lead him to safety. The believer recognizes the wooden beam is the wood of the cross. That cross, which seemed to confirm the, the power and the mindset and the vision of this world on Good Friday and gave the believer cause for doubt, has been transformed by Easter. And now the cross is the thing to cling to on each of our voyages of life, journeying to the kingdom of God. But unfortunately for the disciples and for each of us too, our our, our visions are often earthbound. We can fixate on, on our predicament, 
on the waters of that abyss around us rather than remembering we aren't sinking, we aren't drowning. And in fact, we are journeying. And that's part of the reason that the apostles still doubted. In that first reading from the Acts of the Apostles, St. Luke describes this exact same scene of the ascension, but he gets a few more details. Luke has the 11 asking Jesus if now, finally, are you going to restore the kingdom? After everything, they're still thinking that Jesus is going to reunite Israel and get even with the Romans. They're confused seeing these same leaders, these same authorities who had crucified Jesus, continue doing what they were doing before. Life had not changed for the Jews or the Romans. Now that Jesus is risen from the dead, they're waiting for him to to show out or show up or maybe even just to get even with them. They still haven't figured out exactly what the kingdom of God is. They may have heard Jesus' words of love and mercy and forgiveness, but they're Their human, earthly ambitions and thoughts, they're just not satisfied. No wonder they're filled with doubts. They're going to need to let go of that and to welcome his gift of the Holy Spirit, which we'll celebrate next week with the the Feast of the Pentecost, which will conclude the Easter season in order to move forward and to embrace Jesus' vision of that kingdom. But in order to get there, they're going to have to wrestle with these doubts and make that choice to continue to listen, to remember, to trust in Jesus more than those inner voices of doubt if they're ever to experience that gift. The same is true for each of us. Despite our having already received the gift of the Holy Spirit in baptism and confirmation and its continued presence and activity in our lives, the concerns of the world that surrounds us on our voyage throughout life remain. And for us today, those choppy seams have indeed seemed choppier as of late. There's more fear, there's more uncertainty in the world than perhaps at any other time in our lifetimes. People are suffering not just from illness, but from depression, from poverty, and from more division than ever. And this unjust situation where the people of God have been unable to receive the sacraments has only caused more suffering and given life to even more doubts. But as we cling to our boards, tempted to let go, the voice of Jesus calls out to hold tight, promising, behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age.